0: This program is brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu. Lecture 14, Isaiah, International Upheaval and the Days of Hezekiah. You'll remember that the overarching outline of the book of Isaiah is chapters 1 through 6, an overview of Isaiah's ministry, 7 through 39, the Assyrian crises, and then 40 through the end of the book, Isaiah's response to the Babylonian crisis. And we note that in the last lecture, we discussed the overview of Isaiah's visions and prophecies in chapters one through six and the first segment of the second major part, the Assyrian crises. In other words, we looked at chapters seven through twelve of Isaiah as well. Looking at figure fourteen one, give us a basic overview of the, of the content of this overview of the lecture we're going to have today. And that is, of course, first to remember that we're talking about the middle section of the book of Isaiah, primarily here, and that is the, uh, the oracles against the nations and the crisis of Hezekiah's reign. But we need to remember that this, these are just two parts of the middle section of the book of Isaiah. The Assyrian crisis actually extends from chapter seven to 39, though we'll just be doing 13 through 39 in this lecture. What's the purpose of this material? Well, in many respects, uh, figure 14.2, the function of it in the book is that this, this material, these two, close out Isaiah's response to the past Assyrian trouble. Remember, from the point of view of the readers, these events have already taken place, and most of the prophecies that are uttered here have already taken place. Most of them, not all, but most of them and we know then that that one of the reasons for this material is to point back to Isaiah's reliability and the things Isaiah has done, but it's also to introduce Isaiah's upcoming response to the Babylonian crisis that's found in chapters 40 through 66. So let's begin this section by taking a look at the Oracles Against the Nations. The Oracles Against the Nations, Roman numeral 2, letter A. The basic content of these oracles is a list. It's basically just a list of various nations, Babylon, Philistia, look at 14.3, Philistia, Moab, Damascus, Cush, egypt egypt and kush babylon edom arabia jerusalem tyre so we see a list of various countries that are there and so then the basic structure of this material is that of surrounding nations nations surrounding israel this should remind us of the passages in the first chapters of amos and a variety of other materials we've already seen in this course, these are oracles of judgment against the nations. Now, we need to start off by making this point, and that is that this material is dealings that are in existence during the days of Isaiah. So many people read these materials and they think that somehow Isaiah is predicting things that are going to take place in our day. Nothing could be further from the truth. Isaiah is not talking about the 20th century or the 21st century, for that matter. He's talking about uh, his own day and things happening in his time. Now, to understand that, we need to realize that there is a definite Assyrian focus here. To begin with, let's take a look for just a moment at chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1 says this, An oracle concerning Babylon that Isaiah son of Amaz saw. And it says, Raise a banner, bear a hilltop, shout to them, beckon to them to enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my holy ones, I have summoned my warriors to to carry out my wrath, those who rejoice in triumph. Now, the issue here that needs to be raised is whether or not this passage is talking about the Babylonian kingdom, what historians call the Neo-Babylonian kingdom, that is during the days of Nebuchadnezzar and the like, a very famous period of time, um, or is it talking about Assyria? Most interpreters, most scholarly interpreters believe that Isaiah is now talking not about Babylon, as we understand it, but about Assyria. And the reason for this is because in the year 729, Tiglath-Pileser III, the great Assyrian king, emperor, uh, conquered most of the then known world. And in 729, he was also in charge of and had conquered the Babylonian kingdom. Babylon was a great city, and it was a city of great pride for him, a fact of great pride for him that he had conquered Babylon. And from this time on, Tiglath-Pileser III, after 729, called himself the king of Babylon. And so it's very interesting that as we read through this material here, that we may very well not be talking about the Neo-Babylonian period, but we may actually be talking about the Assyrian kingdom. That's why we read in chapter 14, verse 3, On the day the Lord gives you relief from the suffering and turmoil and cruel bondage, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. And that king of Babylon may very well be talking about Tiglath-Pileser III. And if that is the case, then this prophecy is a prophecy about the destruction of the Assyrian Empire. And that Assyrian Empire, of course, was destroyed in 6.12. Philistia is told that it will be destroyed as well. And in 7.15, Sargon II, the Assyrian defeated Philistia. Moab is told it will be destroyed. Again, Sargon II, 7.15, it happened. Damascus, Syria, is destroyed, as we know, by Tiglath-Pileser III in 732. Uh, Cush, chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. Um, In 716 through 15, Shabako of Cush gained control of Egypt and sought allies. This is in fulfillment of the prophecy that Isaiah gave. The Egyptians were, are said in chapter 19 verses 1 through 25 that they will be destroyed. And again in 670, Esarhaddon of Assyria conquered Egypt. The, um, the Egyptians and the Cushites, 711, Sargon's first year. We read um, these words in verse 3. Then the Lord said, just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years as a sign and portent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away stripped and barefoot the Egyptian captives and Cushite exiles, young and old with buttocks bare to Egypt's shame. Now there you have it. The the figure there is rather striking that in 711, Sargon's first year, he does this to the Egyptians and the Cushites the oracle now against Babylon in 21, 1 through 12, in all likelihood is talking about the time that the Assyrians actually crushed the Babylonian rebellion in 710 through 703. Well, in 703, the Assyrians attacked Edom, Arabia, the Assyrians attacked Arabs continually, And then Jerusalem is also being warned in chapter 22, verses 1 through 25, of of great destruction and horror. And in 701, Shebna, a contemporary of Hezekiah, and el in the days of Hezekiah are mentioned here in this passage as part of the scenario here, if you take a look at this material. Tyre is mentioned in chapter 23, and in 701, Assyria attacked Tyre. So what do we have here in all of this? Well, what we have is a portion of the Bible that's focusing on the movement of the Assyrians and various other nations in the international arena, and that these nations are being used by God to carry out his purposes, his purposes of judgment. And what's very interesting about all of these figures and all these historical events is that they seem to have at least one of two focal points here, historically speaking. Looking then at figure 14.4, we see that the, the events that are described here or prophecies that are uttered have two basic periods of time in mind. Some of them are fulfilled near the days of Ahaz. You can take a look at the list and see the dates next to them and see that they were fulfilled near the days of Ahaz. Others were fulfilled near the days of Hezekiah. And so we, we can see here that in many respects, this material, of the upheaval among the foreign nations anticipates the move from the Assyrian crisis in the days of Ahaz, in this, in this section of Isaiah, to the Assyrian crisis in the days of Hezekiah. And so this is a bridge passage, as it were, moving from one section to the other. The themes of judgment and hope come through in all this material as well. We should recognize that. Just for an example, you can see in figure 14.5 that many negative things happen to the various nations that are mentioned here. Many terrible things happen. But there are also some positive things that take place. For example, chapter 14, verses 1 through 8, the Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. Aliens will join them and unite with them, with the house of Jacob. Nations will take them and bring them to their own place. The house of Israel will possess the nation as men servants and maidservants in the large land. They will make captives of their captors and rule over their oppressors. So here's a positive word for the sake of Judah and for Israel, that they, that, the, that they will actually conquer and take captive the ones who had once taken them captive. It sounds like Amos chapter 9. This is a great restoration prophecy of the victory that Israel will have over her enemies. And these same kinds of positive words appear scattered throughout these oracles of judgment against the nations, and it, they remind us that the negative word against other nations is actually a positive word for Israel. This brings us to Roman numeral 2, letter E, the original meaning of this material. As we have seen, there are two main ideas throughout chapters 13 through 27. As figure fourteen-six indicates, there's a word of judgment against the foreign nations. That will be good for Israel, of course. And also, there's a word of judgment against Judah, warning her of sin but then there are words of hope that hope will be extended to the foreign nations as God's grace reaches out to them. And also that Judah will receive a glorious restoration. And I think the basic message of this material is this. Isaiah is saying that most of the judgments he announced, have already taken place. Remember that's the case, that the original audience had already seen many of these events take place. And then the judgments and hopes that are still future for them, many some of which are mentioned here in this material, uh, will also occur. In other words, a person should take a look at Isaiah's track record and see that his future positive hopes for Israel and Judah will also take place because of what he said that has already taken place. This brings us then to Roman numeral three, Let's talk about the basic content of this material if you look at figure fourteen seven, you can see that we're talking about isaiah chapter 28 through 39 and essentially we're dealing with isaiah's ministry to hezekiah and we'll see that there are a number of oracles related to hezekiah and then the section of narrative especially dealing with uh, sennacherib's invasion and then two stories of that deal with hezekiah's ingratitude so let's take a look at these various sections of this material using the figures from 148 and following we'll deal first with the focus on the oracles that are given at the very beginning. So we're now at um, Roman numeral three, letter B, the literary structure, you can see it breaks down into these three sections here in 14.7. Now, letter Roman numeral three C, the focus on the oracles. The first oracle in chapter 28.1 through 29.24 is a comparison of Samaria and Jerusalem. And essentially what Isaiah does is he says that both of these cities are judged and that Jerusalem will be delivered by God, in all likelihood, talking about the judgment that came through the Sennacherib invasion and the deliverance that came to Jerusalem as opposed to the deliverance that came to, that did not come to Samaria. The next story talks about the problem of Egypt, chapter thirty verse one through thirty one nine looking at figure fourteen nine in second kings eighteen twenty four we We hear that the commander of the Assyrian army accuses Hezekiah of having trusted in Egypt to help him or being tempted to think that Egypt could help him. And the point of this passage is first, verses 1 through 33 of chapter 30, that Egypt cannot help Hezekiah and that protection only will come from trusting in Yahweh. And we can see that in the second section of verses 1 through 9 of chapter 31. So Hezekiah is being challenged by this Oracle of Isaiah, asking him, "What will you trust? Will you trust in Egypt, like Samaria and Ahaz had done, for tr- trusting in other nations, and therefore finding themselves destroyed? Or will you trust in Yahweh?" This, of course, is the way of true hope and the way of victory for Hezekiah. Then we have the uh, section, chapter 31:4 through 35:10, on Zion's future. This is a picture of what's going to happen to Jerusalem in Figure 14:10. First, there's going to be a judgment, Isaiah says, but a deliverance for Jerusalem as well. Then after this, Assyria will be destroyed and Zion will be exalted. The nations represented in Edom, uh, the sort of quintessential evil nation, uh, will be destroyed. And at that point, uh, Zion will be exalted, chapter 34 through 35 so Isaiah is basically saying that Israel should expect an invasion, Judah should expect an invasion, they should expect the enemies to be destroyed, and that Jerusalem has a very bright future from Isaiah's point of view. At the end of this series of oracles that end on this high note of Jerusalem's great bright future, we had then this narratives concerning the Sennacherib invasion. So let's take a look at that chapters 36 through 37. The invasion, uh, it follows a very straightforward and it's a well-known passage. Chapter 36, Sennacherib invades Judah and threatens the city of Jerusalem. And how does Hezekiah react? Well in chapter 37, he reacts with trust in Yahweh. You recall he calls Isaiah to pray with him and for him and he trusts in Yahweh and the city is delivered. As a result, Isaiah um, prophesies against Sennacherib and says that Sennacherib will be driven away by God's power, he is defeated and death spreads through through the camp and he runs back home, and then in chapter 37, verses 36 through 38, so that we come, when we come to the last section on, on Sennacherib's defeat, we find it c- concluding with his death back home in Assyria. Thirty-seven, thirty-eight. One day, while he was worshiping in, his, in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons cut him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And then Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. And so the um, the miraculous deliverance uh, from Sennacherib ends with his eventual death back home. And so we find that the narrative of Sennacherib's invasion basically is that there's a terrible threat from Assyria. Isa- Isaiah and Hezekiah trust in God and therefore is that there is a miraculous deliverance. Then this section closes off with stories of Hezekiah's ingratitude. In chapter 38, we find this wonderful story of Hezekiah and his illness and how he prays to be delivered from his illness and God delivers him once again. A second deliverance takes place. But then we have the terrible story of Hezekiah's failure in chapter 39. At that time, Hezekiah sent letters off to the Babylonians and invited them to come over and to send envoys to see his treasures. Now to us that may sound like a rather innocent thing to do. But in that day, this was part of the way that you established alliances with other nations, was by making certain promises and, that, and Hezekiah was actually ready to make, him, make an allegiance with the Babylonians to secure himself against the Assyrians. And of course, the, the problem here is that this is a very negative thing to do because God had just delivered him from the Assyrians and God had just delivered him from an illness. Um, Isaiah warns him in chapter 38, verse 6, these words. Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your, your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away and they will come become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So that is quite a curse to be put on Hezekiah, but it's appropriate given the way he turned away from the Lord after he had been delivered both from Sennacherib and from his illness. And the result of this, to show how Hezekiah was duplicitous in his commitment to Yahweh, notice what he says here, verse 8. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. And this is the way the events in Hezekiah's life end, is on this very negative note. So what do you think the message of Isaiah is in all of this? What's the original meaning of these materials? Well, these narratives about the Sennacherib invasion, of course, talk about how God delivered and figure 1413, how God delivered and established Jerusalem because Hezekiah trusted in God. That's chapters 36 through 38. But God will punish Jerusalem because Hezekiah trusted Babylon, chapter 39. And so the message is that Judah will go into captivity to Babylon because Hezekiah continued to trust human alliances like Ahaz had done, even after a great deliverance and a great healing. And so we find then that in this material, the second two portions of the middle section of Isaiah, we have the theme of international upheaval, figure 1414, international upheaval, where the original meaning was that God worked the Assyrian crisis for his purposes of judgment and blessing on his people and the nations. And in the New Testament, this correlates to us in that God still controls history and will bring Jerusalem to glory and the nations to defeat and salvation in Christ. And then the application of course for us Day is that we hold forth hope in the final judgment of the world and the redemption of the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and a new earth in Christ. The stories about Hezekiah's day, well, the Babylonian exile was coming. That's what Isaiah was telling his readers because Hezekiah did not trust God. And as followers of Christ, we must follow. God. We must trust in God as Hezekiah should have. And of course, that's the New Testament resonance, but then the the application to us today would be on a daily basis. And in every area of our lives, we must seek God and seek trust in Him and not in human strength. And so we find this second section of the book of Isaiah that deals with the Assyrian crisis, focuses on how the people of God in the South, in Judah, had failed to serve Yahweh as He deserved. And as a result, the people of Judah have nothing to look forward to except Babylonian exile. The preceding program has been brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary and may not be reproduced or disseminated in part or in whole for sale or for profit without expressed written consent. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu.